Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your hosts, Steve Diamond. Yellow. And Larry Korea. Shalom. Today's episode Pitching and Acquisitions. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Writer Dojo. Glad to have you back with us today. We are once again fortunate enough to have our good friend with us in the studio, Dave Butler. Thank you. Excited to be back. All right. Now, Dave, in our previous episodes, mm. it's been, we've talked a lot about your writing career. Mm. Yeah, we've, we got uh, partway through it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we managed to get just, you know, the, you know, the first half of the cliff notes, which is the yeah. only people that people, the only part that actually anyone ever gets through. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No one ever bothers to get to the end of that part. Yeah. But... There is a whole different side of Dave, yeah. and and I don't mean this in like a like he's like a hidden stripper or anything. Only fans way. Right. I mean, unless you're into that, then you know we'll we'll link you his Comment profile later. So, what I want to talk about and what what we want to kind of talk about today, Dave, because we've had a lot of questions from our supporters. Yeah. And if and if uh, for those of you who are listening, if you don't know, if you're one of our supporters. We will, uh, we take your questions, we listen to your questions, and we respond to your questions first when we are able to. Um, sometimes it requires a smidge more research um, because contrary to popular belief that no one has, um, Larry and I don't know everything. We have actually gotten some questions that have stumped us, and we have actually some questions that we have decided to postpone until we could get somebody on who is actually yeah. an expert on that topic. And today happens to be one of those days. So one of the big questions we've been getting, Dave, mm. is is about pitching yeah. to either, you know, agents or editors or those in charge of acquisitions mm -hmm. and and how to go about that process. One, how do you construct your pitch to give to someone? But also, what is it what is it that these acquisitions people are looking for? What, mm. what are some tips and tricks for, for maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, swimming through the slush pile a little bit to get through and make your stuff stand out. Yeah, so, yeah. so first part, give, give our listeners a brief history on, on you in terms of, um, acquisitions and editing. Yeah. So, um, I became involved as an editor first with, uh, Kevin J. Anderson's Wordfire Press, which mm -hmm. is a. Uh, sort of mid-sized independent publisher uh, operating out of Colorado. Um, I did that. Um, in fact, all of the my involvement as an editor is principally because I want to be a writer. This is this is related to my writing, right? And and what happened was, uh, Kevin uh, his his publisher had a booth. The, the his publishing company he owned, Wordfire, had this booth, and it traveled around to comic cons, and it. It showed up at Salt Lake Comic Con one year. Um, I could figure out what year it was, but probably something like 2014. And uh, he and it was big. It was it was noticeably big. They had a signing for Brandon Sanderson and enormous lines. And I think they might have had Jim Butcher there that year too. And I and I said, man, I, you know, I was at a point where having lost my first agent, we've skipped over some story here, that's okay, I lost my first agent dumped me after a year copying his lawyer. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh... Ouch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but he also then blocked me and didn't take me off his mailing list, so I still get invitations to come to his jazz concerts. So, uh, yeah. Okay. 
Uh, I mean, jazz is important, I guess. I, I had uh, I'd been dumped. I then a couple years later, so I'd I'd been in self publishing for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I had uh, got a new a- agent and just had a deal with Random House, so that was not out yet. But I had a series with Random House coming out. We're talking about the kidnap plot, right? The kidnap plot and mm-hmm. and sequels, a trilogy for young readers that was coming out. But I had all this adult stuff, and I was adult like for grown up, like sexy not time. like yeah, oh. not like OnlyFans literature. Oh. Um, they don't read. Yeah, they just want to see pictures of me. So uh, you should write stuff on yourself. Then yeah. they would read. Then they would read in very small. <laughs> Here's the first chapter. Yeah. So, um, so I I was you know trying to get readers for these you know steampunk and fantasy novels and so as an indicator of kind of what that was like at the time I would get together with guys like. Craig Nibo and uh, James Wymore and Jason King, uh, Holly Anderson, and there would be literally like six of us together, and we would say to Fanex, very generous people at Fanex, hey, could you could you give us a table to sort of get let's you know get some local independent writers in here, and they would like comp us tables for oh, the yeah. first few years, or then they'd give us cheap tables, but like you know there's six of us at a six foot table. What that really means is you're standing. And you take up seven feet of that. Yeah, I was like, so I would do, for like three years in a row, I would just stand out on the aisle and talk to people, right? At this little table over in the corner. And uh, and I saw Kevin's big booth. I, I want to be at the big booth. So I went and I pitched him uh, and I said, hey, I was on a panel with him. I went out of my way to be as charismatic and interesting and funny as I could. People liked me. Uh, I said, hey, I'd love it if you guys picked up some of my books and they lately that was like in March they came back for another event in like July we talked and they said yeah let's do it so I was with him as just a just an author for a year or two uh and then uh the opportunity came up uh because he mentioned I was at a con down in Orlando standing in the booth with Kevin he said you know we're going to get a, a full-time acquisitions editor and I said uh, I said I'll do it and to make sure he said yes, I said, I'll do it for free. <laughs> that was the magic word. Uh, <laughs> to be clear, free was the magic word. Uh, Kevin, Kevin really likes it when he doesn't, you know, when he can, when he can get stuff for He's free. not a silly man. He knows no, if he can get quality work for free, he's that's been, a good deal. He's been around the block a few times. Yeah. So I uh, uh, came in and did that for three or four years. Yeah, it was Did the wild. acquisitions editing. Yeah. Um, for uh, for Wordfire, I did developmental edit on a handful of books, maybe three or four. Mostly, what I did was read the books coming in, say yay or nay, uh, or really go to Kevin and recommend. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, listen, we should do this. Yes, we should do this. No. Yeah, I remember after um, my initial publisher for Residue, yeah, um, collapsed. Uh, Ragnarok twice. Who it? it was? Yeah, Ragnarok, and yeah. then. Um, and then another place called Outland basically bought them out and then realized what a world of hurt they were in. Yeah. Um, they basically, their whole fiction line collapsed. Yeah. Um, and I remember, I remember emailing you. And they either emailed you or texted you. I don't remember. And I was yeah. like, hey, Dave, uh, I know you're the acquisitions dude over at uh, Wordfire. Think you could, uh, you know, make me not feel like an orphan today? And you're like, you're like, why, yes, Oliver. 
you know. And so you, you uh, can have seconds. You can have some. send me your tired and your homeless and novels. Exactly, yeah. and 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 so and and that's why you know basically it's because of Dave that the residue is with Wordfire right now. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, so so I did that. Um, more recently, uh, when Tony Daniel left Bain Books, which was maybe nine months ago, eight months ago. That jerk. Uh, he, I love Tony. I'm going to miss him. Man. Yeah. he. I think he's a senior guy or a, a senior guy at a nonfiction. Regnery. Yeah. Uh, which is a big nonfiction. Yeah. Publisher. Kind of conservative oriented, you know. A lot of uh, political and history. Topics and politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, I again went to Tony. I did not say... That, to Tony Weisskopf, I will do it for free. But I did say, listen, I should really, here's some reasons why. And 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 Larry was, I was having this conversation <laughs> with Larry on the side going, man, I really, in my gut, this is an opportunity I want to take. I really want to do it. I worry about Am I the time. one that told you about this job? Um, I think I might have been the one that told you about this. Y- you might have been. I think I heard about it maybe from Christopher Rocchio right about the same time I I had enough ins that I, yeah. think, I think like several, but but you were certainly one of them, and I was certainly talking with you about like, oh, I totally want to do this. Uh, anyway, eventually I kind of got off the pot and uh, and and said to Tony, hey, I should I want to come do editing for you. So I, so I've been doing this for Bain now for five months, maybe six months. Um, I have done a little bit on the acquisition side. Um, at, at Bain, the way it works structurally is that, um, you know, if you have the impression that basically Tony Weisskopf is Bain in some real ways, that is true. Mm-hmm. So really acquisitions are all, Tony is always involved. There is no Jim Minns or me or anybody else just single-handedly deciding to, right? That doesn't happen. No, you guys can advocate for stuff. That would be the, that's it. In fact, so could you, right? So fundamentally. Yeah, I have. Oh. It's it's just it's just I'm a person who's close enough to Tony that I could make a pitch for something for myself or someone else. Which is funny though, because the times that I've advocated for people, usually what Tony is not asking about is quality, but like what I think of them as far as their ability to like hustle work and work and you know, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Are they going to be drama? Yada yada. For whatever reason, I've got a rep. I I'm a pretty good judge of that usually. So that's awesome. Yeah, which goes completely contrary to my public persona, which you know I'm, I should shut you up now longer. before I out myself. <laughs> as being actually good at business and whatnot. Yeah, <laughs> you know, damage your brand. I know, right? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go yell at somebody. Um, <laughs> so um, I have done a little bit of kind of acquisitions, like, hey, Dave, look at this book. Give me recommend thumb up or thumb down kind of thing. More than that, I have done developmental edits and other kinds of editing stuff. So I've I've been an editor at, at a large indie and a small trad pub. And I'm currently at the latter. is is kind of my background in that show. Yeah, so that's actually pretty cool because uh, a lot of writers we don't really get a view behind that curtain so much. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is a good chance for people to kind of get an idea from somebody who understands both worlds. Yeah, uh, like like um, you know how could we get asked all the time? As Steve was saying at the beginning, we get asked all the time. Is like how do I pitch? How do I get yeah. my books there? And so, all right, Dave, let's hear. Like, uh, like, like, what do you look for as an acquisitions guy? What, what turns you on? Yeah, giddy up, giddy up. Well, on my OnlyFans page. Um, <laughs> and for the record, I don't have an OnlyFans page, and in fact, I'm only vaguely sure I know what they are. But I after this podcast, Dave is going to sell his bathwater on an OnlyFans page. by the leader. 
It's gray. I don't know why. Um, you guys can't see this, but he is wearing sexy cat ears. Yeah. As actually, he's wearing a fedora and fur chaps. Yeah, that's a fedora, isn't it? Yeah, he's wearing. It a, is a fedora. Yeah, so he's it's wearing a high crown kind of fedora. Yeah, he's wearing a classy hat, not a trilby. By hatter, by hat maker Tatton Baird in Springfield, Utah. Oh, Springville, nice. Utah. Brought to you by Hatton Baird. Brought to you by Tatton Baird. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it, you know, it's interesting. I, I had a conversation with Tony at one point um, a few months ago. About kind of what what is what are the bottlenecks? Why do we not put out more books? And and her observation, and I think this is true, and and well, let me say it, and then we can think about how you should think about this. Right? Is um, the basic bottleneck is that there aren't more good books to put out. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, and I think she would happily publish more and can happily publish more. And the problem is she doesn't find more books that she thinks are worth publishing that come to Bain. Um, worth publishing and also fit the brand. Fit, well, that's interesting. Yeah, fit the, fit the brand, but also are, are sent to us because some books are not sent to us, right? And we don't, like, go out hunting the internet, mm-hmm. give us your manuscript. Um, so, uh, so how do you think about that? Well, I think on the one hand, you should you should feel heartened in that if in fact, if in fact, your story, if you have actually good grammar and good spelling, you tell a coherent story with a recognizable subject, with likable characters. And here's, let me sort of state what I think is the Bane brand. Uh, look, uh, pro-human adventure stories about a basically honorable main character trying to accomplish a noble end by basically honorable means. Science fiction or fantasy. Okay. You're in the top one percent, and 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 so there's that. That you know you can feel optimistic about that. Here's the bad news: there's a pretty good chance you're you're more sanguine about your novel than you really should be. <laughs> and one and top one percent, you're starting with a pretty large number to get down to that one percent too. So you still got quite a bit of competition in that one percent. You do, but and 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 also you know you're. You really, especially when you're starting out, you just, you don't have the quality sensors yet. You don't really know as much as you think you do. And so you produce a book and you go, ah, it's good. And you just don't see what the challenges are. So, yeah, your first book's probably not your magnum opus, though you might think it is. Yeah, you might think it is. And actually, that's interesting. I I would recommend, if, if there is a song of your heart, don't write it first. Write something else. Write a slutty book, meaning just for the money. <laughs> just get it out of the way. Just learn how to write a book and how to submit. Not something that if it doesn't go anywhere, you're going to be like, oh, my whole life I have been dreaming about the mystical realms of Eldenar, and now they will never be published. Save the mystical realms of Eldenar for when you know what you're doing. Write something else. Just get on base. <laughs> All right. We're uh, on, on that note, um, you know, Dave telling us to write our stripper stories first. We're, uh, <laughs> to get to first base. Just to get to first base, which seems, doesn't seem quite far enough around the bases. But anyway, regardless, uh, we'll be right back after this short break. John Abbott has a new job, a young family, and a mountain of debt. A six-month interstellar journey to Sarovar's system was a big bet requiring total commitment, but the payoff can be 
Cerebar Company traders can trade for their own account. Buying the famous Sonori, weave on planet and shipping it back to Earth so company traders get rich. But John immediately gets assigned to investigate corruption. Someone at a remote frontier station called Arrowhawk has been skimming from the till. As he digs into the crime, the criminals start to threaten him, and then his family, and then all of Arrowhawk Post. Can John Abbott stop the criminals? Can he work for the company without losing his soul? Can he and his young family even survive? Never underestimate a man who's all in. Abbott in Darkness, new fiction from DJ Butler. Available at Amazon or wherever fine books are sold. Pick up your copy today. Welcome back. Now, before we continue on with our episode, uh, we, we were kind of joking at the break that we this is a good time for us to uh, thank producer Jack, the guy who uh, does all the editing and makes sure that all of our ums and ahs and really coughing and snorting pauses. Yeah. You know, he, he edits sinuses. those down because um, Larry and I are asthma boys living in a world full of allergens, uh, allergic to people. Um, so Re- Recording in a city that often has worse air quality than Beijing. That's true. That That's a true story. <laughs> that did happen just just last year. So, you know, again, give uh, when you send in your comments and stuff to us, one, we love them, we read them, but also... Give uh, give Jack some virtual high fives, all right? Yeah. All right. We're back. We're with Dave, Dave Butler, who uh, currently, apart from being an awesome author, is also doing, you know, uh, some editing and some acquisitions over at Bain. Yeah. And so before the break, you were starting to, to kind of get into what it is, what it is that you're looking for. Yeah. And... And so what I want to do is I want to give you some more time to to kind of give some tips and tricks to to a lot of these prospective authors out there who, man, they, they look at this process. They look at the, the pitching process and the submittal process. And frankly, a lot of the questions we, we've received, they have literally said they find it so daunting that it turns them off of being able to submit. Yeah, I understand that. Um. So let's so let me give you some tips. So so to kind of piggyback on some earlier things we've said, uh, some of the great value. I mean, this is the great value of having a, a writers group uh, that is you know smart and in it like you are, and at kind of approximately the same stage is is to try to make sure your book is as good as it can be. Um. All right. So. Uh, pitch. Um, this is something I've always struggled with. Uh, I, I've said on the show before, but I was rejected a hundred times, uh, yeah. approximately for Monster Hunter yeah. between agents and publishing houses. I got rejected by everybody and their dog. Yeah. And I, and looking back, knowing what I know now, part of it was, uh, I didn't know how to pitch. Yeah. I was, I was, yeah. I was bad at pitching. Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, it is a skill. I will tell you just, uh, here, I will tell you this just so you so you want to listen to me. Um, I picked up my first agent uh, cold query letter. He dumped me. I picked up my second agent on a cold query letter. I wrote my query letter, which then sold the series to Random House. I wrote my query letters that went to Bain. My wife said, if Dave can do this, clearly I can. Uh, she became a writer. I wrote her query letter, and she went and picked up her agent. Okay, so I know how to do this. Good, because um, we don't. Yeah. 
We're clearly bad at it. Well, you can't be that bad, can you? Uh, well, I came in sideways. Yeah, like, I came uh, in through the window. I didn't come in through the door. I think a lot of writers. And as do. he came, and as Larry came in through the window, I was holding on to his coattails. <laughs> slower, slower. <laughs> Gotta fit Pull my me toes up. into the cracks in the Pull me up, Larry. Um. So uh, let, let me let me knock one thing out. Okay. Um. I would not try to write a book to fit what a publisher is looking for. Okay. okay. There is a there is a business model that does that. Um, that and those are publishers who are not traditional publishers who typically, in fact, don't publish in the traditional sense, which is they don't print a bunch of books and make them available to purchasers. They just create them digitally. They're online mm-hmm. and they sell through Amazon. And there are publishers who write the so-called right to market. They, because of, apparent flukes in the Amazon bestseller charts. They discover what they think is an unserved, previously unnoticed micro genre. They quickly write books to do that, uh, to, to fill that genre. Look, if, if, if you're in that space, great. Okay. But if you're trying to get in trap up, I would not say, what does this, what does the publisher looking for? And, and try to write that. I just wouldn't. Um, because look, people sometimes do get deals that way, but it's, it's just luck in timing. Uh, you know, you can be one of those who happen to have a young adult dystopian series out when Hunger Games blew up and suddenly every publisher had to have a young adult dystopian series and they all went and bought them and people oh, made a lot of money. So many of those. And, and, and Same thing happened during the whole like Da Vinci Code thing, right? All of a sudden there were tons of co- uh, Right? Like these, Sexy these, vampires. These are waves. But, but the thing is, what you don't see is that for traditional publishing, you're running on like a... 12 to 24, even 36 month cycle. So like when, when things look hot to you as the reader, they may already look like they're cooling off to the editor who's already put her book, her bet in the genre through. So I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Okay. I would, I would write the thing that you actually want to write that you believe in and go find a writer uh, go go find a publisher that'll be your partner in publishing it. I mean, even like what I just said about Bane genre. If you said, well, fundamentally, I am a nihilist and I hate human beings, I'm going to write a happy, pro-human, uh, hope-filled uh, science fiction novel to get with Bane. I wouldn't do it. You're going to feel fake. If you succeed, you'll be unhappy. Like, just don't, you know, write the book you want to write. Okay, so that's that's just, that's like negative advice, okay? Don't make this mistake. Now, how do you write a pitch? So I'm talking here about a letter you would send to an editor or to an agent. Okay. Okay. And there's a whole, we could have a whole, con- we don't have time to talk about the process. We can talk about the process. Let me just focus on, focus on the pitch. We can have another conversation. They can the look process. the process up on the, on the person you're submitting to his website. They're all um, yeah. wonky anyway. Uh, yeah. So uh, here's what I recommend. Um, especially when you're starting this out, you're going to write a three-paragraph letter. Okay. Okay, this is this is a an email at this point. Almost everybody takes emails. Okay. Paragraph one says, uh, my book is awesome. Paragraph two says, my book is even more awesome. Paragraph three says, here is the business. Let's start with paragraph three. Paragraph three is what you want. Okay. Um, so you you'll it'll say something like this. 
Um, I am seeking representation for Forbidden Pleasures, a mm. uh, science fiction novel complete at 120,000 words. It is a standalone book that I could write further adventures in the same with the same characters in the same universe if desired. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe relevant qualifications there. Why do I say maybe, maybe, maybe? Because people overestimate how valuable their qualifications are. Do not say if you are a teacher. Do not say if you have a university degree. It does not matter, okay? If the book is about uh, zombies based on a real-life neurological condition and your dissertation for your PhD was studying the real-life neurological condition that can cause zombieism, put that. So if you're Rob Hampson. I was going to say, so if you're yes. Rob Hampson. Yeah. If you're Rob Hampson, say, I am Rob Hampson, okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, or, or, I mean, maybe if you have won some really recognized prizes. If you won something like Writers of the Future, I might put that there. I would not put I have twice won, been a quarterly semifinalist honor. I just wouldn't, okay? Because when you put something there and it does not look like a real qualification, you just look smaller, mm. not bigger, right? Mm. Okay. So err on the side of putting none, okay? So you just describe, what do I want? I am seeking representation or I am seeking a publisher for. Here's the genre. Uh, by the way, you want to put a simple genre. You don't say, it is a uh, rom-zom-com sci-fi fantasy cyberpunk novel. Because they just think, well, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you're an idiot. Okay? The book, There is no rom-zom-com uh, science fiction fantasy cyberpunk shelf in the bookstore. Right. The question is, what? Very, where does it go in the bookstore? Be very long. Right. So go into Barnes and Noble. Very long label. Yeah, and be like, okay, the answer appears to be science fiction. A science fiction novel. Okay. Uh, what? What's the most could, granular? Yeah. What's the most granular you could see someone getting on there and being acceptable? Uh, like, should they say urban fantasy or steampunk? Or? I would say urban fantasy, or I'd say steampunk. The, the problem is, the more you say, the more precious <laughs> it potentially sounds. Right. So, so look, genre is a bookseller's artifact. Yep, yep. So it's inter now it's interesting that Amazon lets you have infinite genres. So in theory, you can dial in your genre to something yes. crazy small, right? But and get your number one bestseller tag, yeah, which is the orange number one. The cheap trick that so yes. many people do. Yes, in Arthurian paranormal dystopian. Um, so, from Finland. From Finland. Uh, uh, I would try to stick to uh, genres that are identified on Barnes and Noble um, on shelves. Have a sign, okay. And if I can, if I add one qualifier, okay, right? Urban fantasy, Western romance, mm -hmm. okay. Um, you just don't help yourself by by making that complicated. So um, look, the ideal. I did this all wrong when I did with Tony, and I just got lucky. the The ideal pitch, right? You're you're inviting the editor or the agent to make an investment in you. You're mm -hmm. not offering to be their employee. You're off. You're asking if you can be a joint venture partner with them. Okay, that's going to be an investment of time and money on their part. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you want them to a have confidence and be excited about your offering, but also b to think the investment will be small and easy. And so, uh, and and can be easily terminated if it's not working. So your ideal pitch is, hey, this is a standalone novel. It could be expanded into more. You're not going to pitch. This is book one of ten. 
Never. Of the Chronicles the of... mistake I made is this is the first book of a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And and actually, that is that is not... Uh, I mean, I got lucky. That's a hard pitch. Yeah. But yeah, you never... And you see people at cons come up and say, oh, I've planned out my urban fantasy epic. It's got 27 volumes. That's, and they want to tell you about it. That's like, great. You know, yeah. write number one and right. see how it does. Write any, write any of them. So, yeah, so okay. So that's, Before you commit to the next 50 years of your life. Exactly. So that's paragraph three. What's paragraph one? Paragraph one. Here's what I recommend for paragraph one. I, I would start with a Mad Lib. I would write out a Mad Lib to get all the information you need, and then I would rewrite it to sound as exciting as possible. Okay? Here's the Mad Lib. Uh, this is a story about person, a very brief description, who more than anything else in the world wants to do this thing, but cannot because whatever is stopping her, she sets out to plan A if she fails terrible consequences. If you know all that stuff, you know enough to write a great paragraph one. Paragraph one should be focused on your character. Okay, it's characters who tell the story. So, again, this is a bad place to put your world building. So, you know, uh, her father is dead and there's a mystery. And if I don't discover the mystery, the whole village is going to be destroyed. And so I set out to, you know, go to the castle to whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. She have a, she have a, and by the way, that should tell you the genre because... Uh, the the reader of the pitch should get to the third paragraph knowing what the genre is, or at least being pretty close, right? They, yeah. They're like, wait, science fiction? Like, you've it's done like something I, wrong. I thought this was paranormal romance. What the crap? I really thought, yeah. This was a manners comedy. Um, That's paragraph one. And I'm not saying it needs to be short, but it you, you can't just, don't keep jamming things in to try and stick to a three-paragraph format. This is not high school, okay? Reasonably concise. What is my basic story, the basic goal, the consequences, who is this character, and give me some reason to care about her. I was going to say, how quickly can you make the person reading your pitch care and think it's interesting? Right. There are stakes, there's a problem, there's a reason to like this person. Okay. Right? That's paragraph one. Paragraph two, you you, want to make the reader more excited about the story, and what you put in there depends on the kind of book it is. Okay. Okay. Maybe you do talk about your world here. This is a new secondary world based on, you know, inspired by East Indian, East Asian sources where this and this and this, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe you've got an ensemble cast, and so paragraph one is about your Frodo, and then paragraph two is going to be about Aragorn and tell what his quest is, right? Or maybe there's a really important subplot, and so paragraph one is about the subplot and the stakes, Paragraph two is like, but he wasn't expecting to fall in love. Mm-hmm. From his village also is young Twyla, uh, you know, innkeeper's daughter, blah, 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 right? Um, if it's a romance, you might even put, your paragraph one might be the romance subplot and your paragraph two might be the ostensible main plot, Right. But her father, Carl, died without a clear title to the property, and now the bank wants to auction the land, right? Can she get a cattle drive completed in time? Uh, or, or whatever it is. Um, if you are, if, you're, if hard science is part of your story, right, because it's hard SF, 
Uh, which maybe, is very different than space opera, by which the way. Which is very, that's a whole big conversation, yes. right? Like, if, if, if science matters, if you've written something like... Um, uh, Pandora Star or whatever, right? Yeah, uh, The Martian, mm-hmm. right? Where, like, at least Andy Weir apparently went out and, and outsourced a lot of the science. I think already some of it's obsolete, and we're like, well, that doesn't quite right. But he went out and tried to make it really scientifically accurate, right? And so you can say, look, uh, what's character's name? Mark somebody? Mark Mark Watney. Watney, yeah. I actually like that. That was a good book. I like it, it too. I agree. Uh, you know, Watney faces challenges surviving on Mars, including this and this and this. These are all, you know, scientifically validated uh, approaches that, that, based on our limited knowledge now, we think actually should work, right? That's like an interesting second paragraph relevant to that story. And solidifies genre. And, and then you're like, okay, this is not just SF, it is hard SF. Yeah. It's, there's no ray guns and aliens. Mm-hmm. This guy's going to try and grow potatoes in Martian soil using his own urine. Yeah. Right? Um, that's it. Three three paragraphs. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's other stuff to talk about, where to get a list of agents, keeping track of them, etiquette for emailing them, or where to get editors. But basically, that's, that's your guide to constructing a winning pitch. Okay. That's fascinating, Dave. Now, how many of these pitches would you say the the average editor gets on a monthly basis? Oh, a ton. So, so many you're saying? I, I think, I think many, many, many. So, obeying what happens is they go into a process that is overseen by a whole bunch of volunteers, and oh. and Bain has a guy whose semi-official title is Slush Master General. Uh, and he is not only the nicest guy, uh, but he is also very organized. Gray Reinhardt. Gray Reinhardt. And he mm-hmm. has he has really, um, if you haven't had him, uh, you listeners probably may not be able to do this, but but Larry and Steve, if you had had a chance to talk to him about how that works, it's, you know, it is very spreadsheet time process. It is nice. fascinating. Yeah. He's, he's super analytical. Yeah. And and it's it's all designed to try and give everyone a a good fair shot, and a and as a, uh, as fast an answer as you can reasonably get. Yeah. But but for a book to get up to Tony Weisskopf that way, right? It will take. I mean, I don't know what his numbers are now. Uh, at one point, it was. Well, I will tell you, I gave Tony Witchy Eye. In February of 2012, after meeting her at Renovation at mm-hmm. that uh, Struggle with the Stars, I, and she came back with an offer in February of 2016. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. So it has sometimes been a very slow process, but but um, it's down to I think a couple three months, and, and that's a very interesting conversation, by the way. Just like as an aside, when when Gray was kind of walking me through it, one of the things he said is is uh, which I found very touching. He said. Um, one kind of package that I always take really extra good care of is we get manuscripts submitted from prison. Oh, okay. He said if some guy is doing time, and rather than whatever else you can get up to in prison, right, that guy is trying to write a science fiction novel, I really want to give that guy, uh, you know, a, a fair hearing. So... um yeah, so I don't know how many they get. I think it's hundreds uh, a year. Uh, it's probably thousands a year. 
Yeah, I would assume thousands talking to Gray. It's um, it's kind of crazy. Like I, I was one of the judges for the uh, short fiction contest a, oh, yeah. a few years now. I've done the, mm-hmm. the Bay and Fantasy Awards. And uh, what they did for us judges, because we're all writers, we have limited time, they gave us uh, like the best 10. Oh, yeah. But I think it was Christopher Rocchio the year I, last year I did it uh, when he was still at band. And Christopher had to read like 500 short yeah. stories <sighs> to get us 10. Yeah. Um, which was – it wasn't as bad as you think because many of those stories, he'd get a page in and be like, nope, yeah. Yeah. this ain't going to make it. And I and I and for a lot of reasons. So so I think we get books. People just hope, and they and they don't know. And they're like, well, this, they say science fiction and fantasy. I'll send them my romance. You never know; they'll love it so much that they'll pick it up. And I, man, I feel that hope. I feel the the burden of that hope. Well, we've been there. We've been that sure. desperate newbie. You know, sure. we've we've all been that desperate newbie. Like I said, I like Monster Hunter. I got rejected a hundred times, sure. and uh, and I'm sure some of those it just wasn't a good fit. Sure. But I sent it anyway because I didn't know what else I was doing. Right. And, yeah. Right, and so I'll, so uh, there's a first wave of rejections where I think greatest open says this is a children's book. This book isn't finished. This book, uh, right, is a romance novel. Mm-hmm. This book is written in crayon. Yeah, literally. I know Gray has gotten written in crayon. Yeah, submissions. Yep. So that's um, that's a pretty high bar right there. That's, right. That's not to say if you aren't that you're going to get in. It's just saying. Um. I think Bane gets thousands, and I think some chunk of those are obviously just, they're not even going to get read. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and to your earlier point, I mean, if you're getting so many of them, and and this is kind of what we, we were talking about earlier, that's what can you do to make sure yours stands out from all of that? Look, um, I, I used to, uh, at one point, I was working with Joshua Bilmes. Mm-hmm. And he was, he sent me a stack of about 300 query letters. It was ones he'd gotten like the week before. Mm-hmm. And he sent them over to me and he said, okay, read through these and tell me what you think. Which ones, he's like, one, I want to know which ones you just reject without even thinking. He's like, and which ones, like, which ones grab your interest and why? And so we went through that whole process. Um, went through, I think, I think it was like 300 or 350 mm-hmm. real quick. And the ones that were, the pitches that were well-written that had a lot of the same characteristics as, yeah. as what you described earlier, yeah. those ones were easy to pull out and go, huh, yeah. let me, let me, I'm going to set this one aside and give it another look-see in a minute. Once I get through, you know, reading about, I don't know, Moby Dick fan fiction or something. Yeah. So to get your stuff to stand out. And, and and maybe this is and maybe this is why you've been so successful with your pitches is you're you're focusing on story and character mm-hmm. and and really that's what editors are looking for right yeah so there's a clear there's a clear sense of plot and stakes if you can't communicate that what you have written is in fact a novel it's possible that what you have written is not in fact a novel hmm. that it's just your ideas or it's you know stream of consciousness wouldn't mm-hmm. it be cool if a medieval library came to life or whatever that would be cool yes neat <laughs> neat yep. i doesn't compel me to continue with this project with you until you provide me with more information and it is book longer. one of a 38 book series yeah you know something i find actually fascinating here guys is how much uh pitching has in common with back cover blurb copy oh yeah it's oh. almost the same thing which is funny because i'm terrible at pitches 
Yeah. I'm also terrible at back cover I blurbs. I hate back cover stuff so much. Bayon always helps me with my back cover blurbs. I always give them like... Um, that's why in our on our book you're like Steve's taking care of this guys yep. don't worry about it. I always Dang give it. I every that's one thing I ditch out of on every collaboration is the back cover blurb. Uh, but no, I I provide like eh, this is what happens, and then somebody a band you know, like 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 David Ashfar 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 yes. Sorry, David. He's got a hard name. I apologize. But like David will take it and he'll clean it up and make it like actually sound good and marketable. Yeah. But I, it's funny because I have always struggled with pitching and I've always struggled with back cover blurbs. And it's interesting to me. Uh, that's the similar. Um, it's basically the same thing. Yeah, because it's the same thing. It's like I'm establishing characters. I'm establishing stakes and I'm hooking you. Yep. I'm hooking you as to why you want to read this book. That's it. That's it. That's fascinating stuff, Dave. Thank you very much. Um, I think we're about out of time on this one. Dave, it's been a real pleasure uh, on on uh, sharing this information. You got any like final thoughts? Well, so actually, I did have one thought. As Steve was talking about working with Joshua Billness and saying he got how he got three hundred and three hundred fifty or so in a week. Um, here's a we haven't talked about the whole process of emailing editors or agents, but agents will often uh, say the following to you: um, If I don't respond, uh, that means that's a no, um, and they want you not to email them. That is BS, and you should ignore them. If they did not respond, it means they were out of the office, they got back, and they had 50 new ones for the day, and they just deleted them all. That's what that means. <laughs> so here's what you do. you got to keep track. And this is, We're just jumping and seeing one little piece of a bigger process. You, this is spreadsheet stuff. You, you keep track. Who have I emailed? And if an agent does not respond to you, Six weeks later, you send them a new query and make sure your subject line is slightly different so that the inbox organizer does not put it in a conversation. It doesn't it, right? Yeah. Yep. So query colon star lords, query dash star lords will suffice. And you just query them again and you make those guys say no to you. Hmm. Uh, don't, don't accept defeat just because they couldn't be bothered to read it. Interesting. See, so when I did this uh, back when I started... It was where most publishers still weren't accepting emails, yeah. and so it's still written letters. And yeah. so I'd send off a written letter oh, yeah. and wait weeks and weeks and weeks and yeah. weeks or months, and then I would get a letter back, and the letter would be rejection. And I knew I was doing better when I started getting like actual requests for, you know, I want to read the manuscript. For partials or whatever. Partials. Send yeah. them the first three chapters, send them the first 90 pages, yeah. whatever. And I'd get rejection letters uh, that actually – Indicated they had read the stuff and they had specific reasons why they didn't like it or didn't think it was a good yeah. fit. And then after I actually, um, uh, I when I moved after into a big house that I built, uh, my, my first big house that I built off my royalty money, not my second one, was way yep. big. Yep. Uh, I took that stack of rejection letters. I had them in a, in a box. I had them in a cardboard box, about 100 of them. And I took it out to the desert, set it on top of a one-gallon jug of Tannerite, <laughs> which is a binary explosive made of ammonium nitrate and aluminum powder, and I exploded it. I blew it to bits. Confetti. I blew it to confetti. I nuked it. Um, yeah. All those, because it was funny because it was Nuke like- it from orbit, it's the only way to be And sure. many of these same agents you're talking about, I've since like run into years, years later yeah. after they rejected me. Yeah. And they're like, I've told this story before about a certain editor who mm -hmm. came up to me at a party once many years ago. And I think it was after I had my first or second New York Times bestseller, and they came up to me and goes, oh, wow, Larry Korea, you just came out of nowhere and blew up so huge. Wow, you're doing so great. Who's your agent? I don't have an agent. I'm uninterested. Oh, wow, you're an agent. We should we should talk. I was like, oh, no, we did. You rejected me. And I'm like, yeah, you could have had a you could have had 15% of this, but, uh. <laughs> and I just continue on. And 
I tell you, it makes my day. So I tell you guys, pitching is hard. Getting rejected is hard. This process is hard. It's designed to be soul crushing. Yeah. And so honestly, guys, you just keep churning. Um, yep. Most of us out here have been doing this. We pushed and pushed and pushed and we struggled and we failed too. Very few of us, you know, strike yep. goals right off the gate. Yep. All right, everyone. I hope for all of you out there who had the question and who asked us the question, you know, our, our, all of our supporters out there, hopefully, I, in my personal opinion, this, uh, this well and truly answered your question um, much better than Larry and I ever could have hoped. Well, because we've established me and you suck. Yeah, we're terrible at this. <laughs> <coughs> That's why we bring in professionals who are good at certain topics. So thank you so much, Dave. Oh, yeah, for helping us with that. And uh, and for all of you out there, um, you know, may, maybe put this episode on repeat for a couple, you know, for, for a couple hours to, to get this stuff down. Um, it is that important. It, the advice that, that Dave has given, it's not like it's just, again, this isn't like him just going, you know, this is what I think. Remember where he works. It's, it's, it's almost like he's doing this professionally as we speak. So uh, this advice has been awesome. It's been great. And uh, again, Dave, thanks so much for coming by today. We'll see you on the next one. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Nivo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writer dojo, by leaving a five-star rating and review, and by helping to spread the word. To advertise on the Writer Dojo, email ads at writerdojo.com. All questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. Oh, my whole life I have been dreaming about the mystical realms of Eldenar, and now they will never be published.